0: I look at everything from a micro gesture space, from a small space, because that small moment, that consistent moment is what changes things.
1: And I'm lifting the curtain to reveal it all to you in an effort to help put you in a position of abundance so great that you can then be as generous as possible. So let's lock arms and let's get started. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Chris Harder Show, where we absolutely believe that both prosperity and generosity must coexist. And today I'm going to prove that to you because I'm sitting down with a dear friend of mine and someone who I have so much respect for Larea Gaston. Now, Larea is an activist, a documentary filmmaker, and founder of the nonprofit Lunch on Me. And the reason why I fell in love with Larea and Lunch on Me is it's not just your average organization that's dedicated to ending starvation. It takes it several steps further by providing opportunities to enrich the mind and the body and the spirit of LA and New York City and several other cities now helping to fix their homeless community and the challenges they face. Something I've seen firsthand as i volunteered down there handing out food. Lunch on Me feeds and serves over 10,000 homeless individuals and families every single month. Now, Lorea is shifting how we address the issues of homelessness and hunger in America. Her latest initiative is Lorea's Bodega. This is the coolest thing ever. Check this out. It's the first ever organic 99-cent store that's addressing food access for all by redirecting food waste and providing it to those who are in need of food. And she is not only providing food and meals to individuals, but she is using this bodega to provide jobs to those individuals as well. It is the coolest concept I have seen in a long time. Her story has been told on national shows such as Good Morning America and The Doctors. And her work has been profiled in the New York Times and Los Angeles Times. In other words, she is everywhere. And it's no surprise because her newest book, Love Without Reason, The Lost Art of Giving an F. And yes, by the way, there's going to be a few F words in this episode. So if you've got kids around, keep that in mind. This brand new book is on fire and everybody's raving about it. And we're going to talk about this book a little bit towards the end as well. As a matter of fact, we're going to have a book giveaway for you, the listener. So get to the end so that you can participate in winning one of these books. And before we dive into the actual meat of the interview here, I also want to remind you that by now you've heard about my brand new Faster Mind, which takes the benefits of a mastermind, condenses them down into a very small, short period of time, and you get the exact same explosive growth in your business. It's One of the most exciting things I have ever created, it's you getting together in a group of six entrepreneurs that I am guiding hands-on, feels like a one-on-one for a couple days in a row in the intimacy of my home while we collaborate, while we strategize, and we quickly bridge the gap between where you are right now and where you want to be. Listen, if you're interested, the first one's already filled up, but you can get in on the second one. Text me the word FASTER. Text me the word FASTER to 310 Four 421 416 You're going to fly out. You're going to be in my home. We're going to spend a couple of days, sleeves rolled up, rocking and rolling together, collaborating with the other people who also get to be in your group. So if you want one of these seats, text me the word FASTER to 310-421-0416. All right, get ready because this is an episode that is as inspiring as it is going to pull at your heartstrings. And at the end of this episode, I promise you, you are going to be so inspired to take action and grow your business so that you'll have even more ability, freedom, time, money, you name it, to make a difference in those who need you to. Here we go. All right, Lorea, my friend, it's been too long. Welcome to the show.
0: Yes, thank you for having me. I'm so glad to see you. You know, I have not seen you since COVID in the world.
1: I know, taken it's, a degree.
0: It's change. been over
1: a year. I don't think I've actually seen you in person since you came and, and spoke at the Mastermind, which was
0: almost yeah, was two
1: years ago. Isn't that wild?
0: It's wild. Life is a different. It's a different experience
1: now. It really is. It really is. And we're going to talk a lot about that because you've had. A lot going on since I've seen you last with the new book, uh, Love Without Reason. Absolutely amazing book. I can't wait to get into that. But I really want to start with kind of the origins of the impact that you have become known for creating. So, you know, as people heard in the intro, you're known for the massive impact that you've made on homelessness and starvation literally across the country from LA, where you kind of started, to New York, to now, as we're recording this in Atlanta. And there was a time. When you yourself were living out of your car. So let's start by having you take us back to that time. What was going on at that point in your life?
0: Um, Well, I was youth. I was a a teenager, early 20s. Um, I had left. uh, And obviously, you know, I I share the story of coming out and not necessarily being embraced by my family. So LGBT youth is also another huge space for me. And I was just trying to figure it out because. I didn't really have any other options and I didn't know what what life had in store. You know, I was kind of in, in situations where I had been homeless. I had lived in my car. I just knew I was to do something and I didn't really know what it was. But I learned that in those moments, that was my stillness. That's where I got to find this, the, the, the quiet voice. You know, when God talks in a whisper, that's yeah. when I found it. And so before then, what made it so interesting was I was already feeding the homeless community at 14, you know? the first time I was homeless, I was like 19. And so I'd already had an empathy for that space um, and didn't know that it would necessarily be my life. I had no idea that that's where I would be led as as a youth. But, you know, getting out of it and seeing kind of how it happens, it can happen to anyone. And if you don't have family, foundation, support, you know, then it makes it difficult. And I, I had lost a lot of support coming out. And that's what took me into that space and really not having direction or help or support i had to figure it out i had to pull myself out of that hole
1: it's you know what's incredible so about what what, you know what's incredible about what you just said is it can happen to anyone and i think this is one of the big misconceptions about homelessness is people feel like it happens to individuals that are maybe you know addicted to drugs and that's why they got there and, you know they make up all these reasons these judgments as to why yeah. people ended up homeless but people are usually a paycheck away people are usually one yes. one incident away one family fight away from finding themselves without a home
0: oh 100% and i think that's the thing that people don't realize is there's so many ways to get there you know whether it's being in the foster care system 50% of kids become homeless uh, within 6 months of turning 18 you know an accident you know you could have a job and get hurt on the job and not have the support and be paycheck to paycheck you know, everything isn't the idea of addiction in, in those spaces. And I think one of the things that was really important uh, for me and the approach to take was Mother Teresa's quote: "Is if you spend time judging someone, you have no time to love them." Oh, and, and I believe that. You know, it takes away that time, and those things can't happen simultaneously. You either love them or you judge them, yeah. but you don't at the same time. And I think that's where we have to become more open to recognize. It doesn't matter anyone's narrative. No one deserves to not have their basic needs met, especially in America, like psychosocial needs, food, shelter, water. Everyone needs that to thrive. It's difficult in life with all those things. But to add that, I don't think anyone deserves that experience.
1: I 100% agree with every single thing that you just said. And I want to fast forward a little bit in your life because when we just addressed you living in your, your, your vehicle, that was involuntary at the moment absolutely. then fast forward in your life you lived voluntarily down in yeah. skid row for 43 days which is absolutely Yet. wild start with the why behind the that what drove you to do that
0: well what i learned was if i was going to advocate for a space there are levels to poverty and as much as it was difficult living in my car and not having stability and i have been homeless three different times in that space i learned that is different than a tent and i needed to know the difference and i wanted to make sure when it came to approach support what i was doing for the community i was making the biggest impact by knowing what happens on a daily basis it's not just the big moment of becoming homeless it's what are the encounters every day what is that like for a spirit to experience that and it is absolutely Devastating, you know. It was that was the hardest experience I've ever had. The most beautiful because it felt like a personal pilgrimage. I went and I set up my tent the moment my, my mother died. Oh, I, I I and that was where I went because I was so broken and shattered and didn't know what to do. And it was the moment where I was like, you know what? I've been so good my whole life. I've had it together even in my most brokenness. I was like, this is the first time. Maybe I can be the one who's a mess and who's and. I meditated and my mother said, go to Skid Row. Like this is the time for that. And it was one of those situations I was so shattered. I was too shattered to be busy. Yeah. My whole life when I was stressed, and you could probably relate to that. Yeah. My whole life, I could work things off. Mm-hmm. I could work almost anything off, but I couldn't work off the love of my life leaving me. Yeah. My best friend. And so that was the moment that I had no choice but to deal with my heart. Yeah. And but to literally know that I was going to break and there was nothing I could do. All I could do is, is embrace the train coming. Wow. And I went to, Skid Row to do that. That's why I went to Skid Row. My mother had passed away. And at that point, I didn't know what to do. Yeah. And I knew I'd always worked, but I was like, you know what? Bigger than work, let me serve. Yeah. Let me use my life for that. And so that's what I did. I, I went there thinking, you know what? This is the moment I can, I can reach a bigger depth to serve and to help and to show up. But what I learned was I went there and they healed me. That was the most ironic part is every bit of love I thought I had lost from my loss, it was returned tenfold with 50 blocks of people. Wow. And I learned that. And that was my biggest lesson that nothing is ever lost, just redirected.
1: That's incredible. That's It's so beautiful. I know exactly what you're talking about. It's how I felt when, when my dad passed away, you and I were talking offline a little bit about that, but there becomes a, in that moment, you're hurt. You don't want to do anything else. You don't want to do any you don't want to work, you don't want to do anything whatsoever. And in your case, you took all of that space and that emotion and you said, I'm gonna go voluntarily live down in Skid Row, thinking that maybe you're gonna learn something about it, thinking maybe that you're gonna be able to experience it from a different and really the great irony was it was a gift to you during that time.
0: I it was the only space that I was able to mend. And that's the truth. I've tried everything. That was the only space. And that's when I learned that's all we have is each other yeah. because nothing, I mean, I was yeah. broken. I was hurt. The amount of people I got to speak to who lost their mother and talked to me about it. And, and some people who their their mother's death was, is what led them there because they couldn't recover. Yeah. They had no other place of love. That was, that was the last space for them. Yeah. And I learned yeah. so much. It was so many things ha- happened simultaneously as I was learning how to advocate and show up and be better and be present and not be distracted. But I literally learned how to mend and heal and embrace the exact point and reason and value of life because that's what happens. When you lose someone close, there's something that happens in us where we recognize to the extent we we're rooted in what life is, yeah. you know, in yeah. that moment. And and that's what happened for me. And and it was, it's been my biggest gift thus far.
1: Incredible! I can imagine why. So I would really want to frame this for everyone because this wasn't like you went down there with a bunch of money in your pocket. And you're kind of half doing it, half. You went all in. You went down there with no money, no resources, None. no anything. And I had
0: a tent. All I bought, I had a tent and a yoga mat. Wow. That's what I went to Skid Row with. That's it. A tent, a tent and,
1: a and a yoga mat. mat. Nothing else. Mm-mm. Okay. No,
0: I had the same outfit on for forty
1: three days. <laughs> okay, so I obviously there. There had to be some scary moments, right? I'm sure it wasn't, uh, obviously. What was the toughest or scariest moment you recall?
0: The most hurtful moment um, I had was uh, Vice Thursdays. And it was the first time I had seen intentional police brutality, where men were taken out of their tents and beaten and arrested and, and interrogated. I had never seen that. And also, I had learned too. The environment is different when volunteers get there. And even even policing is different. And when I became one of them, when I blended in, when there was nothing I could do to have a form of separation, as far as like external, I, I wore all white. My entire outfit was completely brown by the time I left. And those were the first time I had seen just what people were enraged about to that level. What I had seen looked like plantations, and I and I have to be honest with you: the amount, you know, black and brown people are disproportionately affected by homelessness, which we already know hugely. Would you
1: mind giving them. those stats? Because I don't think people realize just how disproportionate it is.
0: Well, I know. so so I and I and I don't know what 2021 is, but the last stat that I had looked: um, a person that's convicted of any crime, petty crime, they're three times more likely to be incarcerated over someone white, three times. Yeah. And if you live on Skid Row, you have a 90% chance of becoming incarcerated. 90%. And do you remember
1: what percentage of uh, individuals on Skid Row are black and brown?
0: To be honest, I do not believe that the statistics that are out there are correct. Okay. Because they say that it's 50% African American. And mind you, African Americans only make up 10% of L.A.
1: That was exactly what the, the comparison I wanted to make is, I thought it was 9%. So you say 10%, but we're talking one tenth of LA is black and yet 50% or more down at Skid Row is black.
0: And I would say it's about 75%, to be honest with you. Wow. It's about 75%, easy. And so, yeah, I mean, it's a huge, I mean, there's a huge issue when it comes to our system being broken and the things that are happening. And and it was devastating to see. The, the only way I can describe it is slaughtered. It was the most devastating thing to see people who are helpless, have no help, and no one to advocate for them when these things happen. There's no one to fight for them. So to see people so norm to, to, to be so established in abuse, and it's normal that it's a normal day to be interrogated. That was hard for me to see. And, th- those were, and those were parts of the moments that I realized to the level that things are not okay. Yeah energetically, like you hear about it. But when you see that, when you see people and especially people that I know, you know, I don't, circumstance doesn't matter. Like these are people I have walked with for the last five years. These are people that I spend holidays with. I know their families, their birthdays, and to see them being treated that way because being homeless is a crime for, to see someone arrested for a tent, a tent, a sidewalk blocking ticket, So it's illegal to have a tent on the sidewalk, but it's also legal to have it on the street. So it's like, even when you look at the infrastructure, it's illegal to be homeless. You can't go in your tent before 8 p.m. And a woman that I knew very well, eight months pregnant, they arrested her and took her to jail because she was in her tent before 8 p.m. So the amount of policing that happens in those spaces and how people are treated, it was very difficult to see because they've been honestly the kindest people I've met in LA. They've been the most tender. And even when those things happen, there isn't this resistance. It's like they've just been put in a position to be compliant, and there's no empowerment there. And that was really hard to endure, especially because that builds so much. You know, you want to protect anyone that's being bullied and hurt. Anyone, any. It's hard to see, yeah. and I had to look when it hurts, and I had to look at our problems in real life and see what's happening. And that was difficult. It was difficult to see people suffering with addiction. I, I sat um, with with heroin addicts and and while they were, we did interviews while they were were doing heroin and they were just talking to us about how life has been painful for them, how people treat them, that that's the only reason why they they have that addiction is because they can't be sober because it's hard for them to be treated that way, being homeless. Like just to see that, you know, to to have no empathy where they're not angry or they just literally like it's, it's slow forms of suicide, you know, because people, are are completely neglected and i don't know anyone that can can endure that you know when i see that i wouldn't be any different i would be on drugs like i'd be the first to say it what i would be on drugs i would be angry i'd be a lot of things and i couldn't i can't even blame people you know and the thing is they still maintain this grace and tenderness towards others and so so those things were hard to see because it's like the the person i see who's hurt who was never adopted, you know, who never had a family, never had structure, never been loved, never seen love a day in their life or been valued or seen as, as an equal. Um, to see someone like that. And then we come from great privilege and to see people talk about people who suffer from addiction. Yeah. That's hard because we don't look into why, how they got here. Because you don't get there for being overlooked. No, no. You know? And so it's like, do we need more of that? So it, it's tough because you're in both worlds. I'm in the world of seeing what they're going through and then how people are so resistant to help. So it's difficult to to know that when you're like, no, I know the real story. I know what's really happening. And we'd be so much if we just took away this judgment.
1: Well, you've you've put yourself in position to be the bridge between those two worlds. And, and I think that's one of the most important positions that anybody could ever hold, right? And And so number one, thank you for doing that. Number two, I'm glad that you shed a light on some of the the most traumatic, most scariest moments in your 43 days down there, because I would say 99% of people listening will not get the chance to actually see what's going on. So when you describe what's going on, hopefully that starts to open up a couple of doors as to say, hey, next time I drive past one of these encampments, next time I drive past one of these situations, maybe I'm going to look at it differently. Maybe I'm going to react to it differently. Maybe I'm going to. Uh, not judge it the way that my default would have been, right, and that doesn't mm-hmm. happen without you going down there. so you talked about some traumatic moments. What was one of the best moments or yeah. best lessons that came out of those forty three days?
0: So when I was down there, Trump was in office at the time when I was down there, you know there's a lot of controversy around that people you know people upset everyone having very black and white opinions when it comes to you're either you're okay with it or you're not, yeah. and I was in a circle that wasn't really happy with Trump, yeah. you know there were- well, who were kind of upset about the things that were happening. And this man, one of the one of the moments that really like it was so profound because I had met some of the highest thinkers I had seen. And um, a man said, he came over and I was just listening and he looked at everyone, and he said, Don't don't hold any anger towards Trump. And he says that, and you know, and and obviously, like you think about the things that he's even said about homelessness and black and brown people, whether it's been literal or, you know. Figurative, but we know what's being said. And he, a man looks and he said, don't hold any anger in your heart for anyone. He says, you have to remember God uses everyone. And sometimes fools are used to wake up nations. Oh, wow.
1: That Talk about coming from a place of love, right? That is probably one of the most loving perspectives that we can all work towards coming from.
0: I'd never heard someone say something to that degree. And he meant it. He was just like, God uses everyone. Wow. And... And it did, and it came from a space that like there's goodness in everything. And find that. And like, and in that moment, it it literally it it shifted, just just one idea took away this whole idea. I felt nothing after that. Even in that space of like nothing, everything will be used.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I
0: believe we're good if we look for it. You know? And that like those kind of things happened to me for 43 days. The the level of grace I've never seen before. I mean, you can't get you people don't give grace to a barista at Starbucks if their order's wrong, right. <laughs> you know. Right. I mean? So it's like you know, it's uh, the level of grace that we see on a regular basis. It's almost obsolete. So to see these people who are constantly being disappointed and let down and mistreated and judged, look for a higher space. It just it did something to me. It it gave me a different fire to understand. Like no, 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 I'm not going to accept these things. I understand where the world's at, but I'm not accepting it. I'm not accepting where we're at. And it gave me a different urgency to to say that no, we need to change and we need to change now because I can already see us going off the rail. Wow. You know, just in our yeah. humanity, and 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 just the grace, the amount of grace I've seen. The the sweetest thing that happened for me was. People were so excited that I was coming down there because they couldn't believe they felt like I was a guest in their home, right? So they were just like, oh, like I know everyone on all the blocks. So they were just like, oh my God, you're gonna stay here? You know, you're staying with them for the night. So a man had taken, there was a light pole by my tent. And he had rewired the light pole so that I could have electricity in my tent. Wow. At three in the morning. I'm like, what? I'm like, this is the best gift. The most thoughtful thing. He's like, in case he's like, do you have your phone or do you need something? He's like, I found you an extension cord. Like he had went and <laughs> literally rewired so I could have... He literally tapped into the city's light. And this is a
1: member to- of the homeless community. Yeah. So cool.
0: So that was one of the most prof- pro- profound things that happened because it was so kind yeah. and loving and intentional. Those are the things that happened that just literally shifted everything in me. Being a good human being is an idea, it's what you do collectively daily. So, those moments are the moments that are, I mean, I feel like that's what defines us. It's not the idea of what we think we are, it's what are the encounters daily. And again, and I will tell you, being on Skid Row and dealing with that community, I learned grace there. Mm -hmm. I learned Mm -hmm. to have so much patience of just, People's levels of ignorance, you know, um, because, and I say that because the ignorance of not knowing what's in front of you moment by moment, you know, I tell people all the time, even just doing good, whether it's having water bottles in your car, granola bars for the community, that moment, that is so profound to just be so intentional to show up someone (laughs) rewiring the lights for for the city just to, to make sure I had. You know, working with what he had, he found. I don't even know where he found an extension cord, but to to do that, you know, it's like just the the the, the places we can go when we're intentional yeah. and how far yeah. we can go, and it and it changes everything in you, you know. And and also the act of non resistance. I've also learned grace in people's ignorance. Yeah. I've learned, yeah. you know, you have far to go because you're missing the encounters that are right in front of you. Yeah, another one's going to come up, right. and then another, you know, and that and that's the grace of people learning that, you know, learning that space and, and, um, being able to do that.
1: That's incredible.
0: And, that, you know, and, and I'm happy that, and, and I think those divine moments do happen because I see it all the time. And when I have more time, <laughs> I would have given her an entire new understanding of what the missed opportunity is. Yeah, yeah. You know? And then also not fighting fire with fire. You know, you can, you can have tough love, you can be deliberate, but also just recognize that people they don't know what's in front of them and that's what's so important we have so many missed opportunities i mean i wrote about it
1: yeah, yeah, you know yeah exactly it's right here it on a
0: daily basis <laughs> me, on a daily basis
1: let me let me let me switch modes real quick here cuz i i
0: want to
1: i heard you say so and i can't remember if it was in a video or if it was in a book but you said hunger in america and food yeah. waste in america needed to collaborate which i think is i don't know why i just love that line i think it's the, the most clever line ever and you <laughs> made this happen like Enter stage left. Lunch on me. This is your creation. It's, I want to be clear for everyone listening. This is not just another meal program. This is it's remarkable. It's start with meals six days a week, uh, monthly block parties where you're providing yoga and haircuts and just light for people that don't get light all the time. And I mean like like spiritual light. Um, and now even the bodega Boy. in L.A. and you're opening one in Atlanta. Uh, the first ever organic yeah. ninety nine cent store that that literally provides food access for all at at, at the affordable um, rate like that, and provides jobs for them to work there as well. It's it's full circle. So this is like a remarkable program. Tell me about getting this thing off the ground. How and when did it start?
0: Well, that was probably the most difficult part was getting to a space where I was implementing the ideas of food recovery for the highest places, you know, I was looking for the good stuff. It's like, okay, everyone has a canned food drive. Yep. Cool. Where's all the good stuff going? The healthy I started stuff. looking at numbers and <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I and I started looking at numbers first. It was like, you know what, does food waste look like? Maybe there's spaces because I always thought about that. People always have access. Mm-hmm. And when I saw that 40% of food in America doesn't reach a table, 40%. That's that's shocking. I was devastated. Well it's, it, what makes it so shocking is now, even due to COVID, twenty-five percent of the U.S. is food insecure. We're wasting forty percent of the food. How does that make sense? Literally, with what we're wasting, we could end hunger in America. It's almost a disgrace to have because it's something that we could fix, and the numbers prove that. Where is the it breakdown? It's just I, a I've matter of
1: before and I just, I. It wow. blows my mind that with everything we can accomplish in this world, that in America. Yeah. We have got so much food waste on one side, so many people that are uh, food insecure on the other, and nobody's bridging that gap in a meaningful, efficient way from, let's say, coast to coast. Mm -hmm. What? How does this continue to happen like this? What has to change?
0: Well, I think the collaborations. I think that it's about people. I think we all show up collectively. You know, hunger and. In LA alone, because I I can't even think of global affairs. The US, it's embarrassing, Mm -hmm. the the access that we have. If you think about LA, if every person in LA just fed one person a month, we would alleviate that just in LA alone. Think about the number of people. I look at everything from a micro gesture space, Mm -hmm. from a small space, because that small moment, that consistent moment is what changes things. It's like a potluck. You bring one dish and yet you're coming to a feast, right? It's that idea of what we're not doing daily, collectively. You know, I think the power really comes from our unity, not just an in infrastructure. I don't even think the weight of the government should be taking that on. I think that as a community, as a whole, we should all be yeah. doing our part, you know? And we don't have to do a lot. Like I tell everyone, I'm like, can you just volunteer once a month? That's 12 times out the year. Right. You've got hundreds hundred days left just to show up. And I think that a lot of our problems would start to resolve themselves. It's just most people aren't doing and there's small uh, organizations that are picking up doing the heavy lifting. And I think that that's why we have to change as a collective. I don't think much can happen without all of us being on one accord.
1: I totally... So you've actually said a quote in the past. Uh, You said, I don't think it's my job to fix the world. It's my job to make everything I touch better. And that's kind of talking like tidy up your own corner. Like fix what you can that is in your immediate scope and then let's hope that everybody else starts doing the same thing. And that effort you're saying is what would heal the world of all of the starvation, and everything going on.
0: Absolutely, um, that's that is a huge thing. And and I think that that's the thing we have to think about. We are, we we get so overwhelmed by the numbers. We get so overwhelmed by what we could do. We think about us as one person, and then the global issues, and it's like. That's not one, it's it. we have to work together. Yeah. And this is a collective thing, the collaboration. And that's why I say that often. We cannot do much without collaborating. We all need each other. Yep. And getting on one word changes things and making our corner better. If we're all brightening up our corner, we are going to bring the light.
1: Okay. So, speaking of bringing the light, this brings me to another question that, that I really want to ask you because you've done this so well. Um, and I want to frame yep. this. So, you've got your incredible documentary out there, you have tons of great video, tons of great content. All aimed at highlighting these causes and highlighting these solutions and highlighting the fact that each of us uh, can tidy up our own corner, so to speak, and the collective of that will make a massive difference. And so the -hmm. reason I frame that is, here's my question. How do we walk that fine line between highlighting good deeds and those in need and not crossing over into being seen as Leveraging other people's tough situations for our own benefit, and the reason I ask this is I've seen a lot of friends of mine who will put out video content around doing a good deed. Uh, I've done it myself, put out video content around doing a good deed, And while let's say 95 percent of the response is positive, five percent, a lot of times, uh, is, is negative. Oh, you're leveraging these individuals uh, for your own gain, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So how do we walk? that fine line appropriately between spreading the word, showing what needs to be done, showing what can be done uh, with the intention of inspiring without falling into or being accused of uh, just leveraging it for our own benefit?
0: Well, the first thing I would say, I think there's multiple things to address. Um, The first thing is you'll never make everyone happy. So I think that that has to go out the window, right? Um, Even trying to be understood should be no one person's job. Yeah. Um, I, think that, I think that that's something that you decide in your heart. And again, I think everyone knows why they do what they do. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that we all have to be honest with ourselves with why we're doing what we
1: yeah.
0: do. Um, that's the first thing. And and when you are coming from a pure place, I think that you don't. You, I think that you really have to be okay and and confident and knowing that you're doing it from a good place. Right. You know, it starts there. If you come from that space, it doesn't matter what people say. Yeah. You know, if, if people were doing more and having less opinions, we'd probably get more done. Yeah. So that's a whole nother story. Second of all, I think that if you aren't dedicating your life to those spaces and you might, you just want to talk about it, collaborate with the people who are, you know, who are doing that work, truly doing that work. You know, If that is not your space, share what your space is and, and, glow, and, and, and shine light on the people who are whatever yeah. that is. There's certain things that I don't do. You know, I have friends that work in juvenile justice. I help with gels, but that's not my number one space. I collaborate with them and I, and I know my place in it. And I think that that's what we have to do is there has to be more collaborations. Yeah. All I'm seeing is there's so much talk. <laughs> Everyone can talk. There's, we're, we're out of the era of information. We're not in that age anymore. Everything's been said. Yeah. Everything's been written about. I think that at this point, there needs to be less talking and more people backing the real change makers. Wow. Period. Yes. And that's what yeah. I... We keep talking about it, but that's not enough. We can't talk... Everyone knows these things. You don't have to know the numbers to know what's happening. If your eyes are open and they work, you kind of know. Yeah. You know? So yep. I think that now, let's get to a place where we're collaborating with the people who are doing, the doers, and working on from that blueprint. Support. I think the biggest thing that needs to happen is support people who are doing things that matter to you, I even love, if it's not what you do. I,
1: I love what you're saying because there's so much more efficiency in supporting the people who have already been doing this and are the experts and know what works, know what doesn't, instead of trying to go out there and start from scratch and do it yourself. You know what I mean? Like, I'll give you a good example. If somebody came to you in order to help uh, both promote the needs and show what can be done about it, that's going to be way more efficient than them just trying to grab their own video crew and go do it themselves oftentimes.
0: Yeah, collaboration is key. It's like any... I don't try to do everything. I stick with what I do well and I collaborate with the best of the best in other areas. You know, it's like, why? That's not my strength. Why am I doing that? I'm sorry. Like, it's even in advocacy, advocating, activism, change-making in that space Of obviously underserved people um why would you start from scratch if there was a lunch if lunch me existed before i made it i would have done it (laughs) and i'm gonna be honest i would have supported but the thing is there was no space i had to create it no one was offering plant-based foods no one was was offering holistic healing that was not even thought of you know those were completely different worlds and so the only reason I started was because obviously that was my calling. I was supposed to to fill a void. Mm-hmm. But if someone had done it, I had been looking, i am looking for people to collaborate with, but there still isn't that. And that's what happens when you're a pioneer, but then you also have people in their gifts. Yeah. Use your gift, give your gift, whatever that is. And I think that's what we have to look at is what our gift is and how others can benefit from that gift. And it doesn't have to be out of our realm. I tell people all the time, if you're a yogi, I don't need you to cut vegetables. I need you to teach a yoga flow. Yep. Give your gift. And I think everyone should give their gift. As much as you charge for your gift, give your gift. I love give that. Give it to someone else. Let someone else elevate from it.
1: I love that. And and speaking of gifts, that brings us right to your book, Love uh, Love Without Reason, The Lost Art of Giving a Fuck. I absolutely love, 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 love this book right here. Tell us why'd you write it?
0: Um, an experience I had from Skid Row, what may, or um, multiple things. There was, there's been a lot of liberation around not caring Mm -hmm. and empathies on the decline, anxieties on the rise. You can't help but to think that that's taxing our souls. Right, And I wasn't okay with that. That's not the way to go. You know, when we take these things and we create not caring as a form of empowerment, that is problematic to me. And I had to respond because people were acting like they don't care as though that's a badge of honor. It's not. We didn't get this way from caring too much. And that's the problem. Mm -hmm. That's why we're dropping the ball. It's like, no, we need to care. And we need to care about issues. And there is nothing in this world that happens that won't show up at your door. Nothing. You can't hide from any of it. And so we should be doing our part. And that was one of the first things. And and when I was uh, homeless, and I needed, a, t- I needed a, a tarp because it was going to rain. The, the 43 days I'm down there, it never rains in California. There's a day of rain. And I'm like, oh my God, I didn't think about this. I needed to panhandle for $24 for tarps. Long story short, I asked about five 600 people in downtown LA. I was on 7th and Figueroa. You know, it's mm-hmm. financial district, in the banks, all the places. I was down there at lunchtime. The only two people who gave me money were homeless.
1: No, 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 no. Hold on. I would literally want people to hear this. You asked five to six hundred people, people in the financial district in LA for twenty four dollars. Twenty four dollars, and the only two, like literally, the only two were homeless people that gave you the money.
0: Every single person told me the same thing. No, I don't give money. I don't. I don't have cash. I don't. It was the same exact story from five hundred people. That is, and insane. I was so. It was so, it was, and, and also I had thought about in my mind, I was like, you know what? $24. I'm like, I know I can panhandle if I ask people for a dollar each. No one would give me, a, when I tell you only two people gave me money. And the crazy part was I sat down because I felt defeated. I was like, this can't be real. In my head, I was like, there's no way this is what street family do. There's no way no one, because in my head, I'm like, I, I, I'm like, I'm clearly not suffering from any type of addiction. Right. I'm clearly asking. It's like, I thought to myself, if anyone could be humble enough to ask for their needs, that someone has enough humanity to meet it. Like that was in my mind. Like, no, I, 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 you can have told me humans had gotten to that space and no one gave me money. And, and when money went into my, um, it was change he had put into my, um, into my little box that said Love Without Reason on it. And then when I looked up and I saw it was street band, and when I tell you, I cried so hard, I couldn't even get up to stop him. So my friend, because we, we were, you know, we were we were documenting everything. He had ran to him to stop him because I was like, I can't take his money. You know, in my mind, it was like, I'm going to figure it out. But like, this is actually street fam that just gave me the money in his wallet. And I asked him and I, to the point where like my friend had to ask because I was crying. He's like, why did you give her money? And he said, because I've been there so many times before. And he like touches my shoulder and he's like, it's okay. And I'm crying because I'm, knowing what's, what I'm doing and where I'm at and, and to see someone that's like, I know what it's like to be rejected all day. Like, and, and he just gave me what was it. And I was just, I was like, I can't take your money. Like, and basically I didn't get a tarp and I couldn't take it because I'm like, the two people that gave me money literally gave me everything that they had and they didn't think anything of it. And no one would give me something that they would lose in their, their laundry. And that's when I knew this is a problem and we're in a really bad place. That's when I had a measurable moment of, wait, No one gave me a dollar. Like this is crazy, and no one, no one, everyone said no. And I told everyone the same thing: I'm getting a tarp. I need twenty four dollars. It's about to rain. I have a tent. No one, no one gave me a dollar. And that's when I was like, Yeah, mm -mm. these experiences I'm having, I'm seeing where you know these micro experiences, I'm seeing them on a large scale of what's happening in the world, and these are things that we can talk about.
1: I am in absolute shock right now. If people don't take anything from this episode, I hope they take this one particular thing that you asked five to 600 people in the financial district for a few bucks and nobody gave it to you except for two other people that were street fam. And that, that mm-hmm. absolutely blows my mind. So now I know what you mean when in the book you say, I believe that we have a giving a fuck problem in our culture. Yeah. Now I know exactly what you mean, by I had no idea. If you would have given me a hundred guesses... I would have never gotten it right. That zero, zero out of five to six hundred people gave you.
0: No, I you couldn't have told me it was that start. Like there was no way. I was I was I was appalled by it because for one, I thought, if someone's asking, even from a place of humility, like how are we that far removed? Or like even some people wouldn't even talk to me, they'd look away. And that's common. People always say that, like, oh, I look away, I don't. And I'm like, that is very hurtful because. You're not even being acknowledged. Like people are purposely on a regular basis ignoring you, and every moment you have to muster up the strength to say, "Excuse me, um, could you?" And it's no, can't, busy, don't have money, don't have cash. And people are so dismissive. I could see how that could just chip away at your soul. You know what I mean? Like that was really that was a very hard day. I I can say that I've bared my fair share of rejection, but I will tell you that got to me. That level it makes you feel so low. Because people just, it's, it's not that they don't have, they won't. Yeah. Like I, What I thought about is, what is this resistance? What's inside of us that allows us to walk away from these moments and deem ourselves a good person? These are the moments that I'm talking about that define us. These are the moments, it's not an idea. You can't just, to me, I don't think you can just come from an arrogant space and say, I'm a good person. No. I think that your life has to live that and leave that. And your life should be that. And I think a lot of times we all like to think we're good people. And I think in our hearts, we want to be conduits of good. But I do believe we're so far removed from it. That's why this empathetic reset was important. Gosh. Like we need to really look at that. Look at how damaging it is for us to look away or to not acknowledge people or to create the separation. Oh, I don't want to talk to someone who's homeless. You know, and these are things that we have to reframe in our brain. People say say to me all the time. How do we talk to them? I'm like, how do you talk to your mom, your she cousin, like your sister? Love. But people say that to me all the time, and it's normalized. Well, what do I say to them? And it's like, and they don't come from—they're not saying it with the, with ill will yeah. or intention. That's how far it's deeply ingrained in us. You know, it's there for us to think that they're any different than us. They want the same thing as us: love, to be acknowledged, to be seen, if ever to feel there, safe.
1: Like, if ever there's a reason for people to like go grab this book immediately and dive into it, it's that reason right there. I'm I'm still in shock now. In this book you introduce us to the concept of microgestures, which I love. And I love at the end of the book where there's all of the uh, suggestions of microgestures that people can do. What are the five steps and how have microgestures really shaped your life?
0: Well, one of the things, uh, how microgestures changed my life is it allows me to be intentional moment to moment. Mm -hmm. And I think that love is a discipline. So to be so cognizant of what's happening in front of me, we go our lives with so many missed opportunities on how we can be good and show up. Mm-hmm. You know, we think it's something else. We think it's, it's some grand gesture. Yeah. It's the proposal. It's the syndicates to college. What are we doing for us as a whole? You know, and, and what's important is being so mindful and intentional and being generous. We have to, you, there's two ways to, to, to approach life from the place of abundance or the place of scarcity. Mm -hmm. And I always say like, which one do you think contributes to your happiness? Mm -hmm. Which one? You know, to think that your cup always runneth over and the universe will always supply or that there'll never be enough. And it has nothing to do with how much you do or don't have. It has to do with how you're viewing your life and circumstances. And those are the micro gestures. When you come from that place of abundance, when you come from that place, I can do something good for someone every day. Mm-hmm. Every time I'm at a coffee shop, whoever's behind me, hey, boo, add your order. I'm, I'm buying you coffee to yep. today. I, I learn their name. Nice to meet you. It's my micro gesture for the day. You know, I have these calls to actions for myself constantly because I believe love is a discipline. Yeah. And you don't get there thinking your way to it or treating love as though it's accidental. No, we need to take it as though it's intentional and also curate experience <laughs> of love. I think love is a curation. Yeah. I want to be loving, so I show up as that in every space that I sit. And I'm mindful of that and intentional. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why the micro gestures is so powerful. Because as we do that, any practice habit becomes innate. And then that's who, become, that's who you become. So once we practice this love, it gets to a point where it's innate to us. You don't think about being good because you embody it.
1: I, I'm really taking away a message from you over and over and over again. And that is the statement or the the proclamation of, I am a good person, is not a momentary thing. It is a pattern, right? And it's mm-hmm. a pattern of these micro gestures. It's a pattern of these tiny decisions. Are we going to give a dollar? Are we going to look the other way? The proclamation of, and I think most people listening right now would say, yeah, I'm a good person. Of course, I'm a good person. But the truth is, if we were able to somehow audit ourselves and have two columns, the columns that, you know, on one column, it was the times that we said yes to a micro gesture and and the other column, all the times that we said no or ignored it, I have a feeling that yeah. our scores would shock us. Our, our, oh, our, our good human scores yeah. would shock us, right? And that's what I love about this book. And that's what I love about what you're doing is you're reminding us. It goes back to that question yes. of when I said, hey, how do we expose what needs to be done and what we can do with, without kind of getting dogged for it a little bit? You're reminding us yeah. in the most elegant way possible to wake up and make a trend out of all of these micro gestures instead of doing one thing one year and calling yourself a good person.
0: Yeah, and I think what makes it really cool, what I learned was uh, the approach of the book. It's not about just a huge shift. It's about nudge, nudging your way to that space. Like you said, yeah. the patterns, it's a nudge. It's a, we can be better, all of us. There's no, you never get to a space where it, there's nothing else to learn. There's no other place to stretch. There is. It's such a journey. And I want us to recognize that. And that's what was so important. It's I wanted to write about how I learned love and why I show up the way I do and why to me it's valuable. And again, it was a gift from my mother. And I will say, having that example, it showed me someone who lived that way. And I know that most people long for what she had. And it was to know that I'm doing, what I'm showing up for the world. I'm showing up for my life and everyone I encounter. And there's peace that comes from that space. And I think a lot of us are not in the space of peace. And I think that that's one way we can get there.
1: lorea, I will personally vouch for saying you are shown up in this world brighter than almost anyone else I know in my life. And that, that's a big statement. And and you that's need big. to be acknowledged for that. You need to be acknowledged for that. You know, <laughs> you you, you so said much. one more quote out there. You said uh, one of my favorite things, or, or I'm sorry, one of my favorite things I heard from you is is that you said, you don't need a million dollars to make a difference. And that's... Once again, to go back to the book, what you're talking about, the micro gestures, when done in a repetitive pattern, that's actually what makes the yeah. difference.
0: 100%. That's how we become that. You know, it's like we want, it's like you will get out of the world what you're putting into it. Yeah. And I guarantee that. And the more love in that space, it will return to you.
1: I love it. It's, I,
0: it returns, you know?
1: I love it. Okay. So I'm going to do a, a tiny micro gesture here. I want to give away 20 of these books to the listeners. All they have to do is tag. You and me on Instagram uh, with one of their takeaways. That's it. Just something they learned, something that shifted in them. Tag us with a, uh, a takeaway and we'll pick 20 of them and I'll buy and send them a book um, personally just to help get the Dad. book in your hands you,
0: That matters so much. Well, it's,
1: it's a baby little micro gesture and as an example. I mean, of,
0: it's listen, micro is macro. Just remember yep. like... Oh, I more- love that. Listen, with any stone thrown with enough force makes ripples.
1: Oh, I absolutely love that. So I want to end uh, with this. I want to end with saying thank you. You have humanized people uh, that we would normally just walk right by. People like um, Miss Brenda that I wouldn't know of and has almost become a metaphor for everybody else that we would have judged or walked by or not had time for. You've yes. humanized these people so that we can't walk by them. We can't ignore them. We can't say it's somebody else's problem because you've made them human to us. So one, thank you. Two, no matter what resistance you encounter, please don't let up because I promise you it's making an even bigger ripple effect than what you probably realize.
0: Thank you, Chris. I, I receive that. Thank you. I appreciate you. And and you've been a star since I've met you, you know. I just I've you're wonderful. I admire you. I admire your passion, your tenacity. I see it, you know. People can't you can't hide when it's real. And I think that you're as real as it gets. And I appreciate you for being that consistently. Thank you.
1: Thank you. That means the world. And thanks for being on. I appreciate you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. And if you loved this episode and know of someone else who is as successful as they are generous,